good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Welcome once more to this episode of Let the Bible Speak. We're glad you're able to join us again as we consider the Word of God. Over this summer, we uh, as a church enjoyed the visit from believers from different parts of the world. We had Christians from the United Kingdom. We also had visitors from Canada. We had folks from the Czech Republic and even a missionary visiting from Liberia. This visible demonstration of the universal body of Christ was a great encouragement to our church. In light of such, we spent time around the Lord's table on one occasion, considering our unity in our communion. So today we're we're going to break into our regular studies on Nehemiah and consider that important subject of the unity of the body of Christ as demonstrated in our communion together at the occasion of the Lord's table. I trust you'll find it beneficial to your soul and even ask yourself the question, are you part of this global body of Christ? Before we come to the Word of God, we're going to hear the congregation sing. They're going to sing the beautiful hymn, Jesus Paid It All.
please turn in your copies of the Word of God to 1 Corinthians and the chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read this portion of Scripture from the verse number 17 that deals, of course, with Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church regarding their practice and their errors in the practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, the Word of God says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. And this is my body, which is broken for you. And this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. And this do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, and we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, Tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home. Then ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Amen. May God bless his word. That closing sentence of verse number 34 gives a very clear insight into Paul's purpose as he writes his letter to the church in Corinth. There are things to set in order. He is seeking to set in order those affairs regarding the public gatherings of the people of God. As he deals with the matters of spiritual gifts, he deals with the matters of church discipline, he deals with the head covering, he deals with various things that pertain to the congregational gathering of the people of God. And it's that sense of congregational gathering that I want to reflect upon for a time this morning before we come to receive the elements. And it is really that phrase in verse, or the clause in verse number 33, when ye come together. It's that sense of coming together uh, that I think should mark our meditations this morning around the table. The Lord's Supper 
is a communion feast. Communion with Christ, but also communion and fellowship with God's people. Well, you know that Paul is dealing with the matter of communion here because he refers to the institution of that ordinance that Christ instituted back in the Gospels. Verse 23, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And as they met to celebrate the Passover, so the Lord gave instructions to his disciples regarding what they should do until he comes. Until his return, it is the duty of the church to, to meet together, to remember the Lord and to, and to reflect and to feed upon Christ by faith. The Passover, celebrated by Christ and the disciples at that time, was a family meal. It was a time for community to come together. There was a lamb for the household. There were children questioning the meaning of the ordinance. And what was true for those who are members of the old covenant is also true for those who are members of the new covenant. No longer members by physical birth, but members by spiritual birth. And thus what was true for physical families in the old is now true for the spiritual family of God in the new. Those who are the children of God, that they come together. And they come together to celebrate and to remember the Lord's death. This new covenant meal is a congregational event. It is not something we do on our own. It is not something that we should ever do on our own. It is a coming together. And that wasn't just true for the church in Corinth, but let me read to you again the words of Acts chapter 20 in the verse number 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. And it was a sense of coming together that struck me this week as I thought in my mind to what we're going to do at this time. We have been enjoying times of sweet fellowship in our Congress meetings, times of worship together. We've had believers from the United States here, from various provinces of Canada, Northern Ireland, England, Wales, Czech Republic, Liberia, various parts of the world. We've been coming together to worship God. And whilst many of those brothers and sisters have, have sadly headed home, we are here. Again, from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, different cultures. But we come together. And we're coming together to receive the Lord's Supper. This must be significant. There's nothing to stop you, practically speaking, from taking the fruit of the vine and bread in your own home. Getting up in the morning... And receiving the elements to yourself. And you can say, well, I'm simply engaging in remembering Christ. But none of us do that. He said, well, why do we do that? Well, because the church understood that this was a community event. A congregational event. A, an event that marked our fellowship, our shared experience and identity in Christ. It is not accidental. Therefore, we should take time to consider why do we do this together? And so often, the tendency is to reflect and examine and believe in a very personal manner. We examine ourselves. We believe in Christ personally. We do all of this around the table in a very individualistic sense. Sometimes, it is as if we were alone in the Lord's table. That's understandable. Sometimes it's important even. But as this is a community thing, 
We should, as we take together, as we come together, we should reflect, well, what does this mean in our coming together to eat? Well, first of all, we share the same Christ. You go back to 1 Corinthians 10, the verse number 17, where there is a passing reference made to the Feast of the Lord's Supper. Again, he's going to take up more uh, by way of detail in chapter 11, but in verse 16 he says this, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. And the reason of our union, this is what he say, the reason for the church's union is if they were one bread, one body, it is that we are all partakers of that one bread. We celebrate. We take Christ by faith around the table. And we receive the same Christ. In some circles, there is one physical loaf passed around. Again, all of the various practices that take place in the Lord's table, they uh, have come down through tradition with, with various significance. And we can debate the necessity of the symbol, but we shouldn't debate the theology. We emphasize our personal faith. But the Christ that I trust is the same Christ that you will trust in. And our hearts and our eyes, they meet together in Christ. And as the elements are passed around, it is a reminder to us that we share the same faith in the same Christ. And that in turn emphasizes our unity as the people of God. We may be uh, apart by 3,000 miles. But as we come together to eat the bread today, we are taking of one bread, one Christ. You see, Christ's work of atonement had that corporate sense. He loved the church. He gave himself to die for the church. Even listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 2 that reflect upon the cross and the matter of reconciliation. It says this, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, referring to Jews and Gentiles, uh, different parts of the, uh, if you like, of the ethnic sphere of the world. He hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. How? Well, it's through the cross, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. This time around the table is not a time for divisions to be tolerated at all. It's a time to remind ourselves that we come together and we receive of that one bread. We share the same Christ. Furthermore, we share membership of the same covenant. This meal, I've said already, is a covenantal meal. Again, the, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the verse 25, it says, This cup is the New Testament. And the word testament there being the word for covenant used elsewhere in the New Testament. It is a covenantal meal. We're here to reflect upon covenantal blessings. The covenant theology taught in Scripture is again not an individualistic covenant. It does not say, I will be his God, but I will be their God. They shall be my people. 
These are things that we need to reflect upon. We need to examine what is often a very individualistic view of the Christian life. And there is at variance with the teaching of the Word of God. And Christians should not be comfortable living in isolation. We come together and it's a reflection of the fact that we are members, if you like, under the same covenantal promises. And so we listen to the words of Jeremiah 31. The blessing is given to Israel regarding that new covenant, repeated by Paul in Hebrews chapter 8, clearly belonging to that one body, Jews and Gentiles together through the cross. And those promises are, they shall all know me. None within the covenant who don't have that experiential knowledge of God. And thus, when we come together as those who profess to know God, we remind ourselves that we all share these promises. Their sins and their iniquities shall I remember no more. The law of God written upon our hearts. We are regenerate. We are justified all through membership of that same covenant. And so, as we personally reflect upon our blessings, we remind ourselves that we do so as a community. We are one body in Christ under these covenantal promises. Which then leads to the third thing, and that is that we share the same conversion. The invitation to this meal is extended to the redeemed. Verse 24, Christ has given thanks, he breaks bread, and he says, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is not a gospel offer. Elsewhere, Christ would say, come unto me. But at this time, as he celebrates the ordinance with his disciples, he is telling them that his death is efficacious to their salvation. He has died for them. And now is not the time to take up the subject of the extent of the atonement. But we do believe in the word of God that the Father gave a people to the Son. John chapter 6 is so clear in this. Again, it was read and preached on this week. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There are those that the Father has given to the Son. And those are those who the Son will not lose. I will lose nothing, but will raise it up again at the last day. They will have everlasting life. Those who are given by the Father to the Son are those who will have everlasting life. And they have that life because the Son has agreed to do the Father's will. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The will that culminates in his obedience to death, even the death of the cross. And thus Christ, through his obedience, has secured redemption for all those given to him by the Father. And they are those who in turn come to Christ. They cannot come themselves. No man can come to me except the Father, which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So they cannot come themselves. But yet, verse 37 says, All given shall come. And they come by grace. And thus, they come to trust in Christ. And we all have that same conversion experience. Christ did 
die for sinners. The historical event of the cross cannot be contested. Furthermore, Christ rose again for sinners. He ascended for sinners. He intercedes for sinners. But that death is of no benefit to you until you exercise faith in Christ. Running from sin and running to Christ, coming to Him, then you will never be cast out. And so when we come and reflect upon our common experience of conversion, it reminds again that what we celebrate here is secure. Christ has indeed died for us. We've had that conversion experience. We've turned from sin. We've come to exercise faith in Christ. And therefore, when it says, this is my body, which is broken for you, we rejoice and are glad at the certainty of those words. We lay these things upon our hearts. We're all coming to Christ by the same way. It is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. So we share the same Christ. We share the same conversion. We share membership of the same covenant. But we also share the same conflict. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 11. Perhaps the, the most personal reference in this instruction is verse number 28. But let a man examine himself. Now that, that is very personal. Only you will know your own heart. But I want to encourage you today that as you would examine yourself before receiving the elements, that you remind yourself that your brother and your sister will also examine themselves. And there is no temptation but such as is common to man. And there is comfort here. If you eat on your own and drink on your own, you may not appreciate that we're all sinners saved by grace. Now again, there's care to be taken here. The sins of others should never be used to excuse our sins. Some of you may sit sometimes around the table and you begin to search your heart and you, you see in your heart where you've fallen short of God's glory. And you begin to feel that conviction. But then you, you look up and you have a wee eye to the right or the left. You say to them, well, what? I'm bad. I'm not as bad as they are. And you take this moral equivalence view of ethics and you begin to think to yourself, well, I could be worse. And your self-examination is altogether profitless. So the sins of others should never be used to excuse our sins. But as we meet together corporately, personally examine ourselves, as others examine themselves, we can encourage ourselves that we each have a common experience. And an aspect of our unity today is that we pray for one another. As you search your heart this morning, as you begin to ply over your own soul, you can be certain that you are praying for yourselves in a manner that others are praying for themselves. And together we realize that we are together struggling with the conflict of sin in a fallen world. We're all looking for that redemption. We want the time when Christ will indeed come and deliver us from the body of this death. Therefore, we pray for one another. We encourage one another. When you feel your sin and you think to yourself, I'm, I'm on the verge of giving up. 
You can be certain that someone else beside you is experiencing the same reality. Then you can come alongside them and encourage them. Let's keep on going. Let's not give up. This is an important time of corporate worship and fellowship. We share the same conflict. And finally, we share the same conclusion. This do till I come, says the Lord. We have that referred to here in the, in the verse number 26. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. We long for that day. This is not permanent. This is a temporary ordinance. And we long for the day that we shall eat and drink with Christ in glory. But on that day, the church again is viewed as one. We are the bride of the Lamb. Together, as one body, we come together, we look to the day when Christ will return, and we remind ourselves that on that day we are glorified in Christ. Oh yes, we are members of a body, various members, but we are one body, one bride, with one groom, namely Christ. And so whilst at this time, you personally must examine yourselves. You personally must take Christ by faith. Yet at the same time, we remind ourselves that no matter where we are from, whatever corner of the world, whatever our background is, we are reconciled into one body by the cross. And may God help us, therefore, to extend our worship of Christ that Christ not only has died for me, he's died for his church. And that our glorious view of Christ will be extended by reminding ourselves that he's given himself for a multitude that no man can number. And that around the throne will be a company praising the Lamb from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. May God bless our hearts and eyes who come to receive the elements. We do ask this in Christ's name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.